All right, hello and welcome back to the Basic Bible Podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Thompson. And joining us back on the podcast today is apologist Ray Comfort. Ray, welcome back. Thanks for having me back. It's a good sign. Now, I, I'm sure you'll never forget the last time you were on here, um, but uh, we were talking about one of your your other previous books, and I'm excited about the book we have today, um, and we're going to get to that in just a second, but I wish my webcam was working. Unfortunately, it's not. I'm going to try it again real quick here, because there's something here I'd like to show you. Um, I've got the atheist nightmare in front of me, <laughs> and I thought you'd appreciate this. I really appreciate that. Banana's a little bit sort of past it, isn't it? Well, you know, I was hoping you wouldn't notice that. Um, <laughs> I am not a banana eater, but I happen to be here. Uh, I'm here at my in my classroom at school, and this was the only one I could find. So yeah. uh, my son is a basketball player, and so whenever we have bananas, he eats them up very quickly. Um, well, they're good for you. They are. They are. All right, so uh, let's talk about this book. Um, I have it here in front of me. So many lions, and now the webcam is working. That's that's weird. All right, I've been. I was trying everything before this to get it working, and all of a sudden, um, God's providence is shining down upon us. So many lions, so few Daniels, living without compromise in a world in need of the truth. So, Ray, can you tell us a little bit? Uh, I, I understand this little story behind the title itself. How did you come to yes. to pick that title? It's very exciting. I was inspired by atheists. <laughs> I saw a T-shirt that said, too many Christians and not enough lions. Mm. And I thought to myself, oh, that's tasteful. That's as nice as saying too many blacks and not enough lynching ropes or too yeah. many Jews and not enough Nazi ovens. In fact, it made me so angry, I wrote the book. <laughs> that book was written out of a righteous indignation. How dare they? And... uh and so it's, it's, I love the title. I really do. Yeah. It, it, it inspires me that we live in a world of, uh, of absolute a love of sin, and it needs mm. Christians to stand up without compromise, fling open our windows and say, we don't care what you think. We're seeking our God, and we're going to proclaim his word. Yeah. So I, I, all I can think of, and I heard that story, is there's an atheist somewhere who woke up one morning and said, you know what? I hate God and I hate Christians enough. I'm going to put this shirt on. But little did he know, just that little act God used to write a book that's going to encourage people to spread the gospel so there will be, in fact, more Christians. That's that's what I love about the sovereignty of God. <laughs> Absolutely. Yes. He, he likes doing things like he did with Joseph, taking mm. things that are negative situations right. and making them positive. Uh, yeah, failures and making them success. Red seas, lions, dens, all sorts of things. Part of his wife, you name it, God can bring good out of it. You meant this for evil, but God meant this for good. Yes. So yeah. praise the Lord for that. So we're going to be talking a lot about evangelism and just standing for the truth, but not just standing for the truth, but standing in a way that we are leading other people in that direction. Because I think there's a lot of people who are just, um, they're loudmouths. And they love to give their opinions on stuff, whether it's theology or current events or cultural issues. But that's not what this book is about. It, it's not merely about uh, taking a stand, but taking a stand for Christ, being bold in the face of persecution, but loving your neighbor enough to give him the truth that he desperately needs to know. Is that a fair assumption? <laughs> 
Oh, yes. Um, let me tell you about a man that I'll see if you can guess who it is. Very, very famous, very rich, very powerful. Um, men admired him. Women wooed over him because uh, he was so good looking. And uh, thousands would lie in the streets just to catch a glimpse of him. He's so famous that he's even known nowadays by his initials, JFK, mm. John Fitzgerald Kennedy. But at the moment that bullet at the back of his head and exploded and catapulted him into eternity, his fame didn't matter. His good looks didn't matter. Right. Nothing mattered except one thing, one question, were his sins forgiven? Yeah. And that's the question we need to ask every time we look at a non-Christian. They may not be taken out of this life with the speed of a bullet, a terrifying bullet, as happened to JFK, but they're going to be taken out of this life. And we need to see across their foreheads, their foreheads, either the words forgiven or unforgiven. Right. And that should drive us to reach out to them. You know, I go to a local college twice a day, <clears throat> except Fridays when the college is closed, to witness to people and film them. And Jesus was, this sounds dumb, Jesus was right when he said, the fields are white under harvest. I find that people are ready for the gospel if the gospel is proclaimed in truth. Excuse me, I've got a tadpole in my throat trying to evolve into a frog. You still there? Yeah, I'm still here. I'm sorry. I had to turn off my camera. Lost your face, yeah. but we've still got your sound. Yes. All right. So um, that's one of the things I, I was thinking about asking you, but I don't, you know, I, I don't think I need to in the sense of uh, what is our motivation for evangelism? How do you encourage people who are a little timid? But I think that's it right there. The idea that this is not just a matter of trying to persuade someone from, you know, becoming a, a Republican from a Democrat or switching, uh, you know, sports allegiances or something. This is a matter of life and death. If, you know, I am not a very athletic person, but if I saw someone fall into a lake or especially my own child or someone I love, I would be sprinting uh, and jumping and I'd become an incredible athlete all of a sudden because I recognize the seriousness of the situation when it comes to evangelism. I think we forget that, that it's not just a matter of me overcoming my personal anxieties or fear of rejection, but this person is going to die and spend eternity in a place called hell where there's eternal torment if I don't do something. I've been given the gift of the gospel, and how dare I not share that with, with those who, who need it most? Yeah, well put. Um, I think my big problem is selfishness. It's selfishness that holds me back. It's selfishness that's worried about what people will think. And selfishness that causes me to listen to my fears rather than think of the other person. But um, Jesus said the fields are white to harvest. And let me just talk about the Great Commission for a minute. Yeah. The Great Commission is an indictment on sinful human nature. The fact that Jesus had to say, go into all the world and preach the gospel. Every creature shows how selfish we are. It's like a doctor has a cure to cancer and someone has to say to him, Take the cure to dying patients. He shouldn't have to be told. He should right. want to run to take that cure. And we shouldn't have to be commanded to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature because we know that people are sitting in the shadow of death. Jesus said the fields are white under harvest. Are you kidding? This is a generation, Generation X, who's not interested in God. We keep being told that. Well, is Jesus speaking the truth or not? He said the fields right. are ready for harvest. <clears throat> the problem is we've got the wrong message. I find the fields are white to harvest and people are ready for the gospel. 
if we do it biblically. And this is what I do. I look at the scripture that says there's none that seek after God. And I think, okay, there's none that seek after God. You can lead a horse to water, you can't make him drink. That old maxim isn't true. You can lead a horse to water, you can't make him drink. You can salt his oats. You can make him thirsty. That's what salt does. It'll make him thirsty and he'll drink water. And it's exactly the same exactly the same applies with the ungodly. They've gotten this Bible says there's none that seek after God, not just this generation, but the generations before. There's none that seek after God. But we can put salt on their tongue by appealing to something that we've often forgotten. And that is this. Man is not a primate, he's not a product of evolution. He's made in the image of God, and God has put eternity on his heart. Every human being has this will to live. My dog doesn't seem to have it. Cats don't have it. Horses don't have it. But human beings are made in the image of God. And there's something in us that says, oh, I don't want to die. In fact, Hebrews 2 verse 15 says that we're haunted by the fear of death all our lifetime. I don't want to die is the heart of every unsaved person. So this is how I salt the oats. I go up to a stranger in the in the local college every day or hunting the beach and just say this. Would you like to do an interview on YouTube? Uh, I'm talking about the afterlife. Do you ever do you ever think about your death? They say all the time. I say, you're scared of dying? They say, oh, yeah, yeah. I say, have you ever read the Bible? No. So did you know the Bible in the Old Testament, God promised to destroy death? And the New Testament tells us how he did it. Now, what person who's sitting in the shadow of death, haunted by the fear of death, who hears God promised he'd destroy death, the New Testament tells us how he did it, isn't going to perk up their ears just a little bit. That opens the way for the gospel. And I see people who have got no desire for God, not an ounce of desire for God, in three or four minutes listening to every word I'm saying as I tell them that Jesus Christ has abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. And when I share the cross, their eyes widen because they don't realize that Jesus was no ordinary person. I say, who's the greatest person ever lived? And they say, I don't know, my mother. I say, no, 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 I'm talking of someone else. I said, there's someone who split time in two. There's someone who said heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. And 2,000 years later, his words are quoted by millions and read by millions every week. And every year, about two-thirds of the world stop working to celebrate his birthday. Who is it? And they say, oh, it's Jesus. So you ever read his words? No. Let me share them with you. Let me share the gospel with you. And I end up praying with people, not a sinner's prayer, but end up praying with people who open to the gospel and say, I'm going to think about this. Thank you for talking to me. I've never heard it put so clear in all my life. Why? Because I tapped in and did what Jesus did with the woman at the well. He said, if you knew who was speaking to you, you'd ask him. And he gave you living water. Then he spoke about her adultery. Right. The fact she had violated the commandments. That's all I'm doing touching or tapping into the will to live going through the commandments before I share the gospel. Right. And, you know, I look at pastors like Romans one, we all have a knowledge of God. We, I mean, in, in one sense, there are no atheists. Um, there are people who deny the truth, but there are no atheists in the sense that we all realize there's a God. And I think even adding on to that, we all recognize sin. And so uh, I, what I appreciate about your ministry and your approach is that you're tapping in, to what's already there in the human heart. There's already a knowledge of sin. There's already knowledge of a God. And you're kind of just putting two and two together for people and helping them see what the right answer is. 
And I, I think that's a key for understanding for people who are, again, timid, not uh, uh, who, who maybe have a little bit of, of fear in this, that I'm going to approach someone who's completely against what I'm saying. That's true. Men are hostile toward the gospel, but we all have that, 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 uh, that guilt and conscience within us that God has placed there that we can, as you said, wet people's taste for the gospel. Yeah, and everything we've learned in life, everything we've become proficient at, started off with us stumbling. We started crawling before we walked. We started falling off before we learned to ride a bike or jerking a car when we began to drive it. And it's the same with, with evangelism. You know, let me, be, let me be open and honest here. I don't like evangelism. I so agree with Charles Spurgeon when he said it's an irksome task. It's annoying you know, every day I've got this burden on my shoulders. I've got to speak to the lost. It'd be so easy for me to live a life of self-indulgence and just watch old black and white movies on TV all day and just eat. But I can't. I can't just live a life of self-indulgence because my conscience won't let me. The other night I was reading Psalms and I began to weep. And the reason I began to weep was about 60 years ago when I was 13. I remember being given a Gideon Bible at school, a little green Gideon Bible. I took it home. I didn't hollow out the middle as one of my friends did and put marijuana in it. I began to read. I read the book of Psalms. I wasn't a Christian. I didn't know there was a way of salvation. I wasn't born again until about seven or eight years, eight, nine years later. But I was also reminded of something that happened about two or three months before I came to faith. And that was this. My wife and I went out and had dinner with a pastor. After dinner, he didn't share the gospel with me, but after dinner, I remember sitting on his bed because I was going into his bedroom to get our clothes, which our, our jackets, which we left there. And as I sat on that bed, I said to myself, deep within my heart, I wish he would come and speak to me. Oh, and I didn't know what I wanted him to speak about. Hmm. And in retrospect, it was my cry for salvation. I was like a blind man groping, saying, show me the way. Somebody show me the way. And every human being is like that. The atheist is like that. It's just that he loves his sin and you can't blame him. He's got a gorgeous girlfriend. He's having sex with her. It's an, a delirious pleasure for him. And any talk about God is just going to mess up his greatest pleasure he's having. So he's going to fight it. He's going to deny it. He's going to be like the prodigal son who went away from his father as far as he could because he wanted to do things as he knew his father would frown upon. And atheism is a far country. That's all it is. But I know within the heart of the atheist is the knowledge of his own sins via his conscience and the knowledge of God because the heavens declare the glory of God. Romans 1, now without excuse, because the invisible things of him from, from the creation of the world are clearly seen. So I don't get into an argument with him about God's existence because I know he knows God exists. I'll say something like this to him. Could it be you're an atheist because if you admit God exists, you know that you're doing things that are morally frowned on by them, and they say, often they say, yeah. So it's not an intellectual argument, it's a moral argument. The problem is they can say that because they have no fear of God before their eyes. They think God is the old man in the sky with gray hair, sitting on a cloud, wearing a pink nighty, touching fingers with Adam. That's what they think God is like. Yeah. When he's the one that made thunder and lightning, that scares the living daylights out of us, and it's not even... Thunder and lightning showing God's anger. It's just nature, what God created, doing its thing. So he needs the fear of God, and the way to put the fear of God in must take him through the commandments and show him he's in great danger of being damned. While we're on this topic, on page 28, this statement really struck me. 
I believe one of the greatest hindrances, one of the biggest stumbling blocks of people coming to Christ is their failure to understand the difference between belief in God and having faith in God. So we're talking about everyone believes in God to some degree. And um, there are even people who would mistakenly think of themselves as Christians because they have a belief in a God. They might even believe in a guy named Jesus who lived long ago and taught great things, but they don't have faith in God. Can you unpack that statement for us? Yeah, everybody knows God exists in the same way that we know a builder exists when we look at a building. Nothing clever about that. You look at the building and say buildings don't make themselves. Even a child could figure that. So there must be a builder. Same with paintings. Every painting had a painter. Even if he died 300 years ago, you know, there was a painter because the painting exists. And creation is evidence of God's creative hand. Flowers, birds, trees, sun, moon, and stars, seasons, fruits, male and female, and every species, the marvel of the eye. The incredible miracle of birth, all these things show us the genius of God's creative hand because of the order that's in creation from the atom through the atom through the universe. God has given light to every man. So everyone knows God exists. So when we talk about faith in God, we're not talking about just a shutting your eyes and believing without evidence. We have the evidence. When the Bible speaks of faith in God, it's the sort of faith that you have in your wife. We live by faith. If you say to your boss, I don't have faith in you, you're going to lose your job. Say to your wife, I don't have faith in you, you uh, probably sleep on the couch. It may even be the end of your marriage. We have faith in pilots. We have faith in taxi drivers. We trust our lives as surgeons. We exercise faith all around us, and that's the sort of faith, trusting in the integrity of God that we speak of. And that's the sort of faith where the Bible says without faith, it's impossible to please them. Can't please your boss, can't please your wife, won't please your friends if you don't have faith in them. So when we approach God, we make sure we don't doubt his promises. Everything is based on one Bible verse. It is impossible for God to lie. He cannot lie. He's without sin. Therefore, we totally trust every word he says. And uh, that's the beginning of the Christian walk. When you have faith in God, trust in Jesus, that's when God begins to manifest himself to you and you pass from death to life. So again, the book is titled So Many Lions, So Few Daniels living without compromise in a world in need of truth. And uh, this is a fascinating book because like your other books as well, you include um, real life examples. You, at the end of each chapter, you have witnessing encounters uh, that you've been through. And that kind of helps us see some of this in a, in a practical sense and gives us a, a few tips and pointers. I love the index as well. You, you kind of give a whole bunch of just little one sentence statements that are, are, are quite thought provoking. But uh, before we go, because we're running out of time, there's been a question I've been wanting to ask you, and it, it's something I've struggled with, and I'm certain you must have. I mean, you're, you're known as the apologist. You're, you're the evangelist. You go and you, you, uh, you talk to whoever you can about the gospel, and, and I, I've tried to incorporate that in my life. In fact, just, just uh, the other day, I was at a Chick-fil-A, and it was fascinating because I was able to encounter a group of Mormon missionaries, and on the other side of the... Uh, the dining hall, there was a group of atheists who were literally cursing God. I had a chance to sit down and talk with them a little bit and uh, and share the gospel. Um, but I can't say I'm always successful in that. In fact, I, I, I there's a there's a memory that I've got that kind of haunts me even to this day of I was sitting in a Panera Bread and I was working actually on, on a seminary degree. I was working on a particular paper about um, Richard Dawkins' book. Um, God is not great and I'm refuting it. I'm not. And all of a sudden I'm hearing 
there's a group of guys just just a table or two away who are talking about the same book from a vastly different perspective. They're actually talking about it as they love it, and it's an atheist book club. And and all I thought, what 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 a coincidence, you know? I could, but I did nothing. I I could have had the opportunity to walk over there and say, hey, listen, guys, I have this book too. Let's talk about it. And I didn't. And that kind of haunts me to this day. And I'm sure there are situations you've been in where you could have shared the gospel, but you didn't. So how do you how do you handle that now? How do you um, and I don't want to say assuage the guilt because, you know, we can obviously repent of that sin. Um, but but knowing the reality of situations, how do you how do you deal with failure in terms of evangelism? Well, I think failure is just not talking to someone. You can talk to someone and fluff it. That's not a failure because you're faithful. But one thing that's challenged me, and and uh, I don't hear God's voice, but in one sense I do, and let me explain what I mean by that. I've got an electric bike, and I absolutely love it. You know, I used to pedal against the wind and hated it, and now I can pedal when I want to. It's like I've got free will to do what I want when I want. I can zoom or I can pedal, and I love it. And uh I've gone past people at 20 miles an hour that I should have spoken to. And I've done it a number of times, and the same thing happens every time. I'll get like 100 yards past them, and I'll hear this voice. It's like an echo uh, deep within my mind, and it says, there was a time when I could trust you to be faithful. Oh, it's like a stab in my heart. And so I always just turn around and go back and it's humbling to go back and say to someone, I just passed you and I came back because I felt I should talk to you, but it always, always works out great. So we all have those fears where we just don't want to talk to someone. Suddenly Zacchaeus looks like Goliath. And that's because, you know, let me share an incident. I was driving my car and I saw in front of me, probably about 150 yards in front of me, a dead dog right in the middle of the road. And uh, I could, I, as I approached it, I could see what sort of dog it was. It was a German Shepherd. I could see its ears sticking up and its sad tail and the mess of its body. And I just about threw up. And as I got up to it, I glanced at it. And it was just an old jacket that had fallen off someone's bike, I suppose. And it was lying in the middle of the road. But the point is, I've got a fertile imagination. It just went crazy and went in a negative mode. And I do I do that exactly uh, when I see someone I want to witness to. Suddenly, I don't see Zacchaeus. I see Goliath. My imagination goes. I said, look at the size of his hands. He can't wait to get them around a Christian's throat. You know, you can see his jaw. He hates Christians. Look at his mouth. He's a, and I've gone up to these grizzly bears and found out they're teddy bears. That say things like, boy, I was just thinking about this tonight, last night. Thank you for talking to me and stuff like that. So we all have our fears, and I'm, I'm, I'm never fearful to talk to atheists because of this one thing. One question I always ask atheists when they say I'm an atheist, they say, well, answer me this. Do you really believe the scientific impossibility that nothing created everything? Because that's where an atheist defaults to. Not that there was nothing in the beginning, but nothing was the force that gave us flowers and birds and trees, the sun, the moon, the stars, the seasons, all these things that surround us. It was nothing that created. Do you really believe that in science, that scientific impossibility? And probably 90% of the time they're saying, no, no, I don't. So let me, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but would it be true that you believe there was some sort of creative force, but it just wasn't the God of the Bible? They say, yeah, that's it. So let's see if why you don't want it to be God of the Bible. The God of the Bible, let me take them through the commandments and find that he's fornicating, looking at, looking at pornography, lying and stealing and blaspheming. And the fact that he's running from God as Adam trying to hide from God because of his sins. 
Well, Ray, we want to thank you so much for joining us here today. Our, our time is just about up. And uh, we want to remind everyone, again, the book is So Many Lions, So Few Daniels, Living Without Compromise in a World in Need of Truth. And uh, we'll have links where you can purchase that. Uh, the book will be coming up very soon um, out in, in March. And I know that's available for, for pre-order now. And we want you to go ahead and do that. And check out Living Waters. We'll have a link there. And Ray, you've got just a wealth of materials there, much of it for free. Uh, YouTube videos and, and, and quite a deal that will edify you and inspire you again to be a bold witness for Christ. So, Ray, thank Can you. I mention for- something else if I may? Absolutely. Uh, if you go to livingwaters.com forward slash London, we're giving away 500,000 free books hmm. and 5 million free tracks, and we pay the shipping for the books and the tracks. Costs you nothing. Livingwaters.com forward slash London. Yes, and that's right in, right before uh, Prince Charles's uh, or King Charles's coronation now. And uh, by yes, the way, nearly three thousand Christians have signed up to go to London. Mm, praise three thousand, which is so wonderful. And I'll say, my students have benefited from your generosity and putting some of these materials out for free. My students will read your books. Um, I force them to, but <laughs> they enjoy it anyway. So again, thank you, thank all of you for listening, and don't forget to check us out on all the social medias and uh, our website at basicbiblepodcast.org. So until next week, have a great rest of your week.